you could stand to your feet with me, I want to read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and then 6. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever will draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those. That's God's word to us, Father. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for today. I ask that you would speak to us, that you would wake us up to the reality of your kingdom, that you would stir our hope, our desire for you, and that our faith would grow. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk about how I want to define faith today. Because if we don't define what biblical faith is, we we risk veering into that imaginary world that I talked about where we're creating a thing and inviting God into our thing instead of understanding what God's thing is and entering into it. We're going to talk about faith is assurance. Faith is conviction. And faith has a reward. Let's talk about this assurance. It says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And what we need to know about this word assurance is that it means as good as having it. It means laying hold of it so much that I'm absolutely certain that I, that I have it. I have, some, I have some friends that if they said, hey, we're going to go eat at this buffet, and it's the best buffet you've ever had in your life, I'm putting on my stretchy pants. I'm putting on some sweatpants, and I'm going to go, and I haven't seen this place. I've only heard about it. I, I just, I believe it. I'm so certain. I'm putting on the pants. I'm getting my wallet. I'm getting the keys. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go, and I'm, I'm getting happy. I'm like, what kind of food do they have there? Tell me about the food. Okay, they got chicken. I'm down for some chicken. Uh, What else do they have? They got ribs. They got good ribs or just kind of like cheap ribs? They got good ribs. I'm all about the good ribs, right? Do they have nachos? No, because that would be a weird restaurant if they got ribs and nachos. But I'm ready to go. I'm so confident in this. I'm ready to go. I know it's, it's real enough that I'm starting to put some stuff on the line and I'm starting to commit to it. Not only am I going to be excited about it for myself, but I'm probably going to start talking to people about how excited I am about it. Hey, we're going to be going to this buffet. Get your stretchy pants. Get, get some, get some, uh, get, get some sweatpants. We're going to go eat and it's going to be amazing. I'm certain of it. Come with me. There's a, it's a certainty that comes when, when, when hope has been awakened in our hearts. So what is this hope? Like, how do, we, how do we know the difference between just an idea that somebody has and the hope that we're supposed to have? Um, let, me, let me do something first. Let me, I want to, what this verse is really getting at is that faith is not baseless. Faith is not without reason. Faith is a decision made with the information that you have. It's a decision based on what you know right now. And sometimes we think that faith is this big, scary thing that needs to be figured out or it needs to be parsed out or that we have to create. But 
the, the reality of the fact is we, we know a lot more than we realize that we know. So for you who's a, who's a Christian, what do you know? What do you know about God? What do you know about the situation that you're in? Even what do you not know about the situation that you're in? And what has God put on your heart? What has God said about your kind of situation? What do you know? Faith is based on what you know. It's not based on what you don't know. Sometimes we think that we need, you, you, you kind of fall into one of two categories. You either like to know nothing because you like the blind faith idea, or you want to know everything because you want to put your hands in the side. But the reality is we all know something, and for all of us, it's a response to what we know. I want to give you an example. There was a man who claimed to be God. This man claimed to be born of a virgin. It said angels showed up to his mommy and said, God's going to make you pregnant without being with a man. This man grew up and at 13 years old to 12 years old, he was a remarkable teacher and he was debating with Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers in the synagogues. And he was, he was meeting with them. And this, this man grew up into adulthood and then he, he started laying hands on people and healing their physical bodies. He started casting out demons. This man raised a couple dead people from, uh, to life. This man made an eyeball out of mud and stuck it in somebody's eye socket. This man had the audacity to forgive sins. He said that he had the authority to forgive sins. All of this stuff is crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely bonkers. This man, if somebody came today into this church and said, I have the authority to forgive sins, we'd be like, you've lost your ever-loving mind. Or, or if, he, if he said, hey, um, JC, I know David has been really offensive to you, but this guy was like, but I forgive him. JC would be like, but David wronged me. He didn't wrong you. Who are you to forgive him of my offense to, right? Unless my offense to JC was really an offense to him. So this man claimed to be God started forgiving everybody else's sins. Can you imagine what that's like? There was even this moment where this man who claimed that he was God was, was getting ready to heal someone and everybody was watching. They're like, Mm-mm, he shouldn't be working on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, uh, he, this man who claimed to be God looks at him. He's like, oh, would you rather me heal him or forgive his sins? And then he's like, how about both? Why not? Right? Let's do it all. Let's do all the things today. Your sons are forgiven. Get up and walk. Or your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. He's like, I'll do both things. Because I have authority over both things. Now, this, this man who claimed to be God went even a step further. He's like, I'm going to die and raise from the dead just to prove to you that I am who I said I am and I can do what I said I would do. Kind of like a down payment on the promise that I can do whatever else it is that I promised I could do. And here's the thing about this man who claimed to be God. He did it. So I, 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 he died and he rose from the dead. As a down payment to say, anything else seem impossible? I can handle that too. I got it handled. I can take care of it. I've got you. Be assured that when I stir your hope, I won't let you down. 
Be assured that when I stir your anticipation and when I stir your heart, I'm not going to let you down. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I won't not come through on what I said I would do, though it might look different than we expected it to. But with that story about this man who claimed to be God, you have enough information to make a decision. This man who claimed to be God said, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. He called himself the way, the truth, and the life. You have enough information right now. Now, there's a lot you don't know. There's a lot you don't know about the rest of this man's life. There's a lot you don't know about the whole rest of, uh, of the whole rest of everything else in life. But you have enough information today to make a decision. Are you seeing it? Are you feeling it? We think that we, we, that faith is blind because it's a Christianism. It's kind of this idea that, well, I've got to step out with no reason and no faith. And, and I've just got to just believe something big. I've got to create something. But biblical faith is when God invites us to believe in what he's said and what he's done. It's not about creating our own reality and asking the universe to catch up with us. Right? Faith has its beginning, its middle, and its end in God. He initiates faith by stirring our hearts with a taste of his dream. That is hope. A stirring of our hearts with a taste of his dream with an anticipation of his dream coming to pass. That's what hope is. And this hope stirs in our hearts. And we begin to consider it, begin to ponder it, and we begin to wrestle with it. Why am I no longer satisfied doing what I've been doing the way that I've been doing it? Why am I dreaming of a life free from that addiction? Why am I dreaming of a life free from, from that bondage that I've been in? Why am I dreaming of, a, of, of this thing that, that exists outside of my ability to do it for myself? I've tried before and I've failed before, but I haven't been able to get it done. Where did this dream come from? Where does this hope come from? It came as a gift from God to stir your hope, to bring you to a place of confidence, of conviction, of assurance. So that when you understand that this dream is from God, you're able to look at it and say, no, 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 I can, if this dream is from God, then I can be assured that he's going to be able to follow it through. He's not the friend who says, I'm going to take you to this great buffet, and then you'd go to the Taco Bell parking lot. Now, I'll tell you, sometimes he's the friend who takes you, he says, I'm going to take you to a great buffet. He takes you into the Taco Bell parking lot. You get real angry. You throw a fit. You get out of the car, and it's actually right behind you. But you're so busy throwing a fit and being mad, you're never going to get to walk into the buffet because you felt like he wronged you. So he initiates it by stirring our hearts with a taste of his dream. He sustains it by giving us assurance by his track record, what he's done. And by, I mean, and there's no greater promise. Now, if anybody promised me something and then died and rose from the dead, I'm good for it. I'll believe you for anything. Right? Like, I'll believe you if you just shake my hand a certain way. He rewards it on the back end by accomplishing the thing that he promised in the very beginning. 
Hope isn't about deciding what we want and asking God to catch up with us, like I said. It's a stirring of our heart. This hope is like a, a fuel for the engine of faith. Hope gives it flavor when it's hard. It makes it exciting. It makes it something that you can look forward to. It's You can experience the benefit of the thing that you're going to have. You can experience the joy of the benefit of the thing that you're going to have right now, even though you don't have it in full. When Abraham was told that he was going to be a father, when he started to believe the promise, it says that he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was super old and he shouldn't have been able to have kids. His wife was super old and shouldn't have been able to have kids. And here this angel came and said that you're going to have a kid and you're going to have it this time this year. Abraham believed. And Abraham's walking with God and he's believing. And I imagine that he, 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 Abraham was told that your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky. They're going to be so plentiful to a man who has no kids. That's a pretty remarkable promise. To an old man with no kids to have descendants as numerous as the stars, that's a pretty big deal. But every time he was able to think about God's going to come through on this thing. He was able to experience the joy that comes from knowing that he has those kids already. You tracking? Faith is also conviction. It's conviction of things not seen. This word conviction, it speaks to being persuaded. It's just being fully persuaded. So if, if, if we're if we're assured in the hope, we're also convinced when we don't yet see it. Now, here's the thing about, about, um, here's the thing about not seeing. It's conviction of things not seen. Um, I almost made a slide that said conviction of things not yet seen. And it was sitting right here and it was really cool. It was actually my favorite graphic for the sermon. But then I realized the reality is what this is talking about. It's, it's not talking about you, it's talking about the world. It's a conviction of things not seen with your eyes that's manifested itself completely in front of you yet, but you've seen it. You saw it in your heart, which is why you're hoping for it, which is why you're assured of it, which is why you anticipate it and you look forward to it and you're excited about it and you can taste it. And when you think about it, you start talking faster and you, you want to stand up and you want to pace and you want to, you want to shout a little bit and you want to, your, your voice rises and you, and you get excited and you just start drawing other people in and you don't understand when somebody else doesn't want to jump in with you because it's so real to you. You can't figure out why nobody else sees it yet. You ever had that kind of faith? You ever believe for something that nobody else could see, that nobody else had, had been able to understand, that nobody else could, could get their mind around, but it was so real to you because God shared it with you and his, by his, by the Holy Spirit and through his word. And every time you press into the word, it's affirmed and affirmed and affirmed. And then when you talk to the people of God, you talk to an elder, some people who love Jesus, they're like, I see God on this. I don't, I don't understand it, but it feels like, tastes like, sounds like God. Let's go for it. You ever had to be there? And it looks a little bit crazy when you're, you're talking about something that you see so vividly that nobody else yet sees. If you haven't yet stepped into that realm, we haven't yet fully believed. We haven't stepped into the faith that God has available for us, the journey, the, 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 the excitement, the, oh gosh, the, the, the trip. 
that he has for us. Not like a drug trip. I meant, I was trying to find another word for journey. It's better than a drug trip. (laughs) If you agree with that, we know a little something about your testimony. (laughs) It's the conviction of the things not seen. It's being fully persuaded in the thing. You know, one of the best modern day examples of this is Martin Luther King Jr.'s mountaintop speech. He says, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Then he continues and then he picks up here. He says, he's allowed me to go to the mountaintop and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, And then he continues about how they will get there and he is certain of it. That's the best modern day example that I can think of, of a man who saw across something. He saw something in his heart and he saw something in his mind. And he goes, this is the reality. This is the promise of God for our people. And we just need to endure. We're going to have to be confident. We're going to have to believe. We're going to have to fight. We're going to have to continue when it doesn't look like it, when when there's still riots, when people are still getting sprayed with hoses and chased by dogs and getting shot by police, when all these other things are still happening. You're going to have to believe because it's not going to look like the promise that I just talked to you about. Abraham would have looked crazy. I'm going to be the father of a multitude. And everybody's like, yeah, maybe if you had one, that'd be a good start, buddy. (laughs) Noah's like, a great flood is coming. There's going to be rain. First of all, rain isn't a thing. Second of all, floods don't exist because rain's not a thing. Third of all, how how do you even know that thing's going to float? (laughs) You're You're not a boat builder. And you're building the biggest boat like ever. It's 400 yards long or, or three football fields long. It's like, what? Oh boy, he's building a boat. How are you going to know it's going to float? Let's say this rain does come and the flood does come. You're just going to die with everybody else, buddy, because you just made a, a paperweight. You just made an anchor. Moses. Gave up his his plate his place at the table in Pharaoh's house to identify with slaves to go through the difficulty of standing up to Pharaoh and leading a bunch of slaves that are scared of him and don't really respect him into a land that God had promised them. So what I love about context, and this is why I kind of talked about this earlier, I got ahead of myself, is because this this idea of faith being assurance and faith being conviction and faith having great reward, the risk is that we can assign anything we want to it kind of under those banners. But in Hebrews chapter 10, we see that we in, in, in the second half of 11, everything underneath it, you see what faith actually ends up producing. It ends up producing something that's not just for the person who's hearing it, but it's for everybody else. Moses is the the dream that God gave to Moses wasn't for Moses. It was for the people who were enslaved. The dream that uh, God had for Abraham, it wasn't just for Abraham. It's because because through Abraham, Jesus was going to come. And he was going to set everything right that he had already promised to Adam and Eve. Are you seeing it? 
And so when we think about dreaming big, I'm not saying picture yourself as the CEO. What I'm talking about is get close enough to God that you can hear him speak to you about the life that he created you to live and the purpose that he's called you to fulfill. And that purpose and that calling is going to have a lot more to do with other people than it does for you. And that's one of the most exciting signs that you're getting it right. I love hearing about teachers. You know, people are like, I want to be a teacher. It's like, well, then you're, you're definitely hearing something. There's something happening in your heart that's, that's valuable because I'm, you're not doing it for the paycheck. And you're not doing it for the respect. <laughs> you're doing this for the benefit of everybody else. So thank you. Same thing for, you know, a police officer or somebody in the military. You're clearly not doing this for yourself. The text gives these examples. I would encourage you to, to go back this week in your five for five, reading your Bible to start for five minutes, five days a week, five days a week this week. And if you read it today, that counts. Uh, we do five for five because I because when I said read your Bible every day, you people would miss Monday and then just quit on it. They're like, whatever, I failed. I'm not going to do it. I'll start my diet next week. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, five for five. This way you can miss Monday. You can even miss Tuesday and just push, you know, just still get it done. You're not you're still in the club. But this week, what you could do is you could look at Hebrews 11. You could even look at, uh, just look at Hebrews 11, and, and it talks about these people, and it tells their stories. It gives a little snapshot of these people who believed, and, and it showed, and then you realize that these are people who are mentioned earlier in Scripture, and you can learn about their lives, and you can learn about what it looked like for them to walk in faith. And that's exciting, and it's encouraging, and it's, it's really, it's, it's hugely challenging. It was by faith the men of old gained approval. It said by it in the translation, so I've added the word faith. It's by faith the men of old gained approval, and the approval that they received by walking in faith is the approval from God, so that even if no other man ever in their lifetime saw what they were believing in, saw the fulfillment of what they were believing in, it still came to pass, and they had the pleasure of God on their on their behalf. It's like... Uh, Keith Temple, one of the elders in, at Grace, helped me. Um, when I was doing offering messages in the very beginning, they were train wrecks. And, um, you know, it's like there wasn't even, in, like, nothing good to say. I'd go up and I'd forget my Bible, you know, and, like, make up Bible verses and just kind of guess. And, you know, the pastors would text me, like, that's not in the Bible, buddy. Try, try better next service. And then, like, I'd get the Bible verse right, but I'd forget why it mattered for the offering message. And it was just, it was just really awkward for everybody involved. It was like, it was like a slow motion train wreck. You couldn't look away, but you wanted to, and you felt kind of guilty. And it's like, people walk up and they'd be like, man, I feel, I felt for you. Like that was the, for the first few years of preaching, that was the greatest compliment I was ever getting was I felt for you. It's like, thanks. So Keith Temple helped me a lot. He said, well, David, here's what we do. We perform for an audience. We, we please the one we perform for the many. So Noah, while he was building this ark, he was pleasing the one. He was pleasing God who called him to do it in the first place, but he, everybody else saw it on display. When God calls you to walk away or God call, uh, a, a way, when God calls you to walk in a certain manner, uh, it's, it's before a lot of people, but there's only one that you should be com, uh, concerned with pleasing, and that's God himself. So um, what we have is... Um, what you'll see is that even Abraham, he didn't even really fully see it. All Abraham got to see was 
his his son and, and a couple grandchildren. That's all. That's all he got to see. But the rest of us benefit from his faithfulness to the promise that God made him. So when we think about the promises that God has for us differently, we realize that there's a generational impact that's possible. Now I want to just. I need to. I need to end. There's so much I want to say about this, but it's without. Say it again, without, without, it is impalpable to please God. If you, if you were here for Chris Johnson's sermon uh, a couple months ago, his son says impalpable. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let's say the whole thing. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now here, here's why this is important. Think about all the words that didn't make it in that blank. Think about all the words that didn't go in that blank that you spend your time worried about. Without a new car. No. Without a new house. Without a promotion. Without a boyfriend. Without a girlfriend. Without a husband. Without a wife. Without children. What have you put without going to church, without attending all the time, without being at all the worship services, without serving every week, without what, listen to all the things that didn't go in this blank. The one word that goes in the blank was faith. And what ends up happening when you start with faith, the things that follow faith now matter. But it doesn't matter how good the thing is. If faith doesn't precede it, it doesn't have value. It doesn't matter how good your marriage is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how good a parent you are. It doesn't matter how good your kid's soccer team is. It doesn't matter. None of those things matter if faith doesn't precede any of those things. Because the thing that gives it value, the thing that gives it wings. Come on, Red Bell. The thing that gives it real wings is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I'm, I'm trying to make it a commitment of my life to put faith first in, in all the things that I'm doing. And I'm surprised at how hard it is to change the way I think. I'm also surprised at how great it is, the results that come when I do that. The verse about Abraham, he, he said it died without receiving the promise. In, later in Hebrews, he says that they died not receiving the promise in their lifetime, but they had greeted them from afar. They saw him and they knew it and they treasured it and they enjoyed it, even though they never got to hold it in this life the way that all of us would have expected them to be able. I want to I wanna just ask this question to close. Where do you need to apply faith in your life? Where have you been operating according to what you can do on your own? You are the fire insurance. You, you basically, you're like, God, I want to believe you for an okay marriage. Because I feel like I can pull that off if you fail me. God, I'm going to believe you for an okay family. Because just in case you can't come through. I want to be able to be able to produce it so I'm not disappointed. 
God, I just, I just want to have scraps at, at, at the dinner table. We just want to barely get by. And, and I don't talk about prosperity. We're not talking about making millions. I'm, but, but how, where have you said, well, I'll just take, I'll just settle for this lowest rung existence in case God doesn't come through, because I know I can, I can create the lowest rung existence for myself. You believe in God, but the belief in God hasn't yet affected your expectations for your life, for your relationships. What I want to do is I want to pray. I want to pray with you. If there's a place that if there's a place that you've settled and you're ready to have faith, the kind of faith where God stirs the dream. Like maybe you don't even have the dream yet. Today's step is just approaching God for the dream. That's a great place to be. Maybe you you heard the dream and then you suppressed it because you're like, nope, I, I can't I can't do that and I don't feel like trusting you. So let me not pursue that. I want, to, I want to pray for us, Father, in the name of Jesus. There are places all over our lives where we've settled, um, where we've where we've compromised, and we've been satisfied with less than what you desire for us, because we were afraid that you couldn't pull through, or that you'd leave us a fool that maybe all we deserve was Taco Bell. But you have a buffet stored up for us of joy, of hope, of purpose, of meaning, of life. I ask that you would give us the courage today to draw near to you, to hear your voice, to seek out your will and to seek out your purpose in the word so that we could understand who it is you've called us to be, what it is that you've called us to do, so your kingdom can be advanced through us. God, we repent for making you small. We repent for thinking of you like we think of ourselves. We repent for thinking that you have limited resources and limited desire to share that with us. God, I ask that you would give us the courage to hope again. That you would give us the courage to be confident in your promises. And God, even when we don't see it in the world in front of us, that we would see it clear as day in in our hearts and minds.